Welcome to the Do Life Better podcast, where we believe that you get to create who you are being and who you become. And it's often the smallest changes and actions that make the biggest difference. Each week, your host, Dave Jorner, will bring you the best guests, tips and messages to inspire and help you to do life even better. Thanks for joining us today. Now let's get started. Hi everyone and welcome to another episode of the Do Life Better podcast and of course I hope you are creating a great day for you and for those around you. Uh, Today's shout out, today's fan of the week is for me Imogen and she says this podcast is the best thing I've listened to. Having anxiety this helps me so much. It's so inspirational and gives great advice to young people. So me Imogen thank you very much. I really appreciate you taking the time to leave a review and if you would like to be the fan of the week If you'd like to have a shout out, please do leave us a review on the podcast app or CastBox or wherever you listen to this. So for today's episode, have you ever found that some people are a lot easier to listen to than others? Some people hold your attention, you're engaged a lot longer, whereas other people you find yourself getting distracted, you find yourself um, being absent-minded a lot more regularly. Or have you found that in a meeting or in a gathering Uh, everyone seems to go with the ideas of one person, but not someone else. Or someone else has the exact same idea, but it's not heard from them. It's not until someone else says the exact same thing that everyone goes, oh yeah, let's do that. Or have you ever wondered why some people can deal with conflict situations a lot more quickly or why others make great first impression, yet some people seem to struggle? If you said yes to any of those, then today's episode is just for you. Today's guest is Dr. Louise Mailer, and she is Australia's leading expert on voice, body language, and presentation skills. And I've just finished the interview with her, and I've learned so much. And she will go into a lot of details and, and tips on, to, on how to improve your voice, how to improve your body language, to make deeper connections with your friends and your family and be more effective in presentations and in the workplace, how to deal with conflict situations even better. So if you would like to improve any of those areas, today's episode is just for you. So for now, I hope that you enjoy today. Today's chat with Dr. Louise Mailer. Hi Louise, thank you very much for joining us on today's episode. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to have you. And uh, I've been doing some reading of, of your book and I've, I've watched you um, on different TV shows and that lately as well. And I know you are oh. one of Australia's leading experts when it comes to voice and body language and presentation skills. And I really like the way that you combine them all together. We, um, I find it really helpful mm. for myself and I'm really excited to learn a lot more from you in this chat right now. Before we do though, uh, I read in your book Resonate that uh, when you were younger, you used to love walking around the house singing nice and loud with your family. And then that turned into um, you being able to sing uh, as an opera singer in Vienna, uh, which is quite a huge achievement. Yeah. When did you realize that singing for you was more than just something fun, but actually could become quite a, a good future for you? When was that moment? Well, uh, my mother always tells the story about how I was um, walking on the on the gate, on the front gate, and they opened while I was standing on them and I went down and my arm dislocated backwards and she says I hit top C and held it for about an hour and a half. <laughs> um, 
And she said, oh, my God, we'll make her a singer. I've always had top notes, with which a very famous singer, Elizabeth Schwarzkopf, said to me, they're jewels, darling. Not everybody has them, you know. They're jewels. You bring them out special occasions. (laughs) Um, I've always had them. Other people didn't have them. Um, I broke glass when I was about 16. Um, with my voice, really? and like, you, I seem to be being led in that direction. Well, yeah, but you literally broke glass with your singing. I literally did. Do you know? I didn't realise at the time. I was singing at the piano, and there was crystal on the sideboard, and it's there was a huge bang, and then it split down the middle. The glass, the crystal glass, and and you could literally pick up one half and the other half, and it was split down the middle. And I thought. Is somebody mowing? Did a stone come in? And and it never really, I didn't realise I'd done it until a few years later when I was in England and I was practising in somebody's kitchen and I hit a note and bang, exactly the same thing happened. No and, um, yeah, so I've done it twice. Wow, mm. wow. So when you come over to people's houses, do they put all their good glassware away <laughs> just in case it happens again? Wow. Well, it's one of those things you well. can't do, you know, on request. It just happens. So, Wow, there you go. Yeah, they don't have to worry. <laughs> so what does singing provide for you? So obviously um, – Finding at a young age that you love singing and then being able to use that as a career and, and perform in front of huge crowds. What does singing provide for you? What's it mean for you? Oh, look, you know, singing's one of the – we we're all born singing. Singing mm. was there, – there is belief that we sang before we spoke. Singing is not an extension of speech. Singing okay. is what we originally did. And, uh, you know, we all sang, and it is an indicator of health. You know, when I was in Vienna, you'd say – people would come around, they say, how are you? And, and we'd go, hmm and depending on how the voice actually fired you know you would respond and say oh I'm having difficulty today getting it up you know I I can't get the sound up or well your voice is your indicator of everything and how your posture is aligned your mental state um your flow of air your stress levels uh and your mouth tension your tongue tension and it gives you also I mean it's proven that singing gives you endorphins you know it makes you happy So it's an indicator of health that gives you endorphins. And I believe that the airflow, which is the basis of song, is actually our vehicle of communication, that airflow. So it is our connection with the world. Singing is an indicator of life. So it's more for you than just enjoying the music. It's about the indicator of life. It's about communicating. Uh, And I like what you're saying too. Who you are. Yeah. And being able to see how someone else is going too by their voice. Oh, absolutely. You know, when I'm queen, everyone's going to learn singing. So (laughs) there you go. Watch out. Can't wait for that. And (laughs) what was it like singing in Vienna? Oh, hell. Hell, thank you, yes. Um, You know, singing is, I adore singing. I think everyone should sing. Should everyone sing professionally? And in Vienna's one of the top three A houses in the world. Should everyone sing there? No, no, actually, you know, the stress, the pressure, um, you know, that's not fun. That's not fun. Uh, but, um, you know, unless, you, unless you're winning, you know, there's a few people out there uh, in the world, literally a handful in every generation, who absolutely it works for them. Everyone else is just working like a dog. And, you know, you end up, it's, it's, it's tough, very tough. Mm. 
So I'm curious then, like being quite tough for you, was there a standout moment? Was there like one moment that made it all worthwhile for you? There are moments when, you know, for many singers say they have this experience, is that you're singing and it is as though you're not singing, you're being channeled by somebody else. Your mouth is opening, the sound is coming out, but you are not making it. It is though you are channeling some force and the sound is coming out. And I've certainly had that experience on a few occasions and that is subliminal, you know, that that. It's it's fabulous experience to be standing there communicating in that way, to bring people to tears, to have them cry. Um, you know, my, my everyone has a different voice type and, and in Germany, you know, they, they qualify the voice type to your coloratura or lyric or dramatic or lyric dramatic and my voice type is a lyric dramatic. What that means is it's dramatic in that it's about drama but it's not the I'll kill you drama, it's the beauty of drama, of loss, of sadness. So therefore, lyric dramatic, beautiful in sadness. So the kind of roles are the snow princess, she melts from love or, uh, you know, and, and it's the type of voice that makes people cry. It's to do with the vibrations of sound that cuts through people and it has different emotional responses. My voice makes people cry. And, and to get that across, to have that response, you know, what a joy. That'd be incredible. My voice would make people cry for very different reasons when I sing. Uh, <laughs> but uh, that's incredible. It'd be, I'd imagine it'd be, I don't know, quite a, a spiritual experience, even when you're, you're saying about how it yeah. was like it wasn't you singing, it was just coming from within you. And to make that strong connection, wow. You know, that, that's, not, that's not an original thought. Mm. It is many people say they have that experience. Mm. Wow. So then I believe uh, from your book Resonate, I believe that because of the cold air over there, you had a lot of difficulties with your vocal cords and you're becoming quite sick and you weren't able to keep up to your high standards of singing. So you ended up leaving that scene and then coming back into Australia, uh, getting a job yeah. with BHP, uh, yes. becoming a trainer for them. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah. so what was the moment then where you were able to link your love of singing, uh, your experience and expertise mm-hmm. as a performer? Um, wh- when did you link all of that together with training and the ability to help other mm-hmm. people in a whole bunch of different settings in the corporate world? Yes. Look, you know, people say, how do you get into that profession? profession you know I made it up it's appalling I couldn't (laughs) I I couldn't not do it you know and what I found was um being in a very large organization like BHP (laughs) the training that they gave me was unsurpassed there's nothing I didn't get training in facilitation customer service quality you know everything I've done every certification in the world and it's a long time ago now um but and so when I then became the person who is in the room with others I would start to experiment, you know, and I'd, I'd be doing things. And, and there was a moment when one day, you know, we've all got those turning points. And I went into um, a, a someone who was important to me and I said, you know, I see the lessons that I've learnt in in opera and my experience with body work and singing really being relevant to leadership. And he said, oh, yes, tell me more, tell me more. So I went on and on and I said, yes, is that everything? Tell me more, tell me more. And I went on and on. And and then he said, right, have you finished? And I said, yes. And he said, right, well, don't bring your weird stuff in here again or you're out. Really? 
Yeah. And I walked out that door and I thought, actually, mate, my weird stuff is what it's about. And from that day on, I never looked back. You know, I just went, this is what I'm doing. I was just driven um, right. to bring it all together. And then, of course, I did my um, master's in organisational psychology and my PhD in business in this area. And, um, yeah, you know, the rest is history. Well, wow. so that was the motivation you needed to get it started. It was, yeah, negative motivation, but there you go. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so I'm curious then, with your experience in voice and, and body language, why do we naturally listen to some people more than others? I know that in the work I do, uh, even sometimes in gatherings with friends and family, there's some people who are, you're more naturally drawn to and then there's others mm-hmm. who you need to remind yourself to focus and, and stay with them while they're speaking. Um, and even in meetings and so on too, how come some people uh, naturally attract the attention of others whereas other people really struggle with that? Yes. Look, first of all, there are perceptions about what is good sound and then there's an ancient realities of what is good sound. So I tend to not um, pander to the uh, perceptions of good sound. The perceptions of sound that is authoritative and we want to listen to is sound that is low in pitch, slow in pace and loud um, and we tend to listen to those voices. Look, that's fascinating. Um, I say, okay, great, that's one way of looking at it, but let's not use that as our guide. Let's go back to ancient principles, which is that voice is just the vibration of vocal folds as air passes through them. And what we're listening for is that clear, unhindered passage of air. What that means is that the lungs are working well and smoothly, the air is coming through smoothly, that the throat is not uh, closing on the way out and that it's not being overblocked by the mouth as it comes through. So, you know, we're listening for unhindered airflow um, as the air is produced and then as it continues. So what that means is when we speak, we want to go, ah, ah, not ah, Ah, you know, you feel, you hear tension in the throat. And then once that sound has come out, it's like a massage. You know, voice literally touches people. We, we hear it in the air as sound, but it does, it doesn't just vibrate in the ear. It vibrates on the whole body. Voice vibrates the skin and we feel that it's a massage. So we actually like people whose air continues to flow. We don't like people who block that air. So we want it uh, not unhindered and we want it to flow. We want it to come out of the body and to flow. And then again, we actually get psychological messages. So if people even give more air, so they, they're doing this sort of thing, then we think, oh, they care even more. They want to be even less blocked to me. So there are huge, it's called paralinguistics, the psychology of sound. There is a lot of psychology of sound in the way that we produce voice. And, and it's all about how it touches our body in its vibrations. That's quite interesting about the whole idea of when the voice is unhindered and it's like massaging your body and so on, it becomes a lot easier for other people to listen to. But when it's nasally, uh, it's a bit more difficult to listen well, to. Well, no, you see... We don't understand nasality. Um, nasality is when the palate is dropped and sound comes through the nose. And very few people do that. Um, that's when you say, hi, Dan, how are you? Hello, Dan. That's nasality. What we tend to call nasality, 
isn't nasality. And this is fascinating because we don't discuss voice and everyone's talking rubbish. When What we call nasality is mostly what is called twang. And people will say, oh, I'm real Australian. I don't like that nasality. That's actually not nasality. That's twang, which is an acoustical effect at the vo- at the larynx where we have a very, we bring the uh, space above the vocal folds to be very small and then we open the palate out, which gives us a megaphone effect. It's called twang and the sound carries. It's not nasality. It doesn't come through the nose. And it's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. You see, voices like Dave Hughes, I love Dave Hughes' voice. You know, g'day, mate, how are you? It's full of twang and that's a carrying power and it's got a lot of character in it. It's not blocked. It's not blocked. It's an acoustic effect he makes at the larynx. And I think it's beautiful. I think it's clever. Absolutely. And then what's the connection then between voice and body language? Uh, Would one, pardon the pun, but would one speak louder to other people in terms of communicating the message? So voice or body language, is it even as one more so than the other? What would you say? Uh, Research shows that body language is the big communicator and voice follows that and then what we say is less. And um, the most quoted research on that is by a fellow called Moravian. The reality is that Moravian never gave the statistics that are quoted. It was his students and other people have come up with different statistics. But, But the fact is that it's always body language communicates the most, um, voice is second and content is third, and the more emotional we are, the more dramatic that is. Now, can you separate them? You know, I believe that the voice is only a uh, manifestation of what happens in the body. You know, you have to have the posture lined up. You have to have the, the uh, diaphragm free. You have to move your arms to guide the airflow. You have to open your mouth to have the air come out adequately so you know they're not then they're inextricably linked they're not mutually exclusive body guides airflow and you know it's very louise hay but of course the mind governs the body so the mind governs the body and the body governs the voice so voice really is like a thermometer of our mental state as it comes through the conduit of the body as a middleman and there's a, a, a you know a fellow who researched called Moses, and he would say vocal dynamics echo psychodynamics. And likewise, you change the mind, you change the voice. You change the voice, you change the mind. And they and it goes through the body. Okay, so then what's the difference that we can create by working on our voice and our body language? What difference can we create in a variety of settings, whether it be with your friends, your loved ones, or uh, giving a presentation, or uh, if you're a salesperson, for example, what difference can we make when we really work on voice and body language, uh, align them nicely and get them working really well? Well, the, the, the benefits are massive. I mean, first of all, you're going to be able to, um, you know, influence them to get their, to build rapport, to get their trust and to guide them in certain ways of thinking. I mean, that's that's a whole field of influencing. But the second part is it's good for you. You know, this is self-development. This is what we mm-hmm. need to do. And so often we are looking, we're hurting ourselves, you know, especially as we become emotional and more power and, and want more power, we tend to confuse that with aggression. 
we confuse that with aggression and we go tight instead of actually um, maintaining control and keeping that air flowing. So it's good for you in a health sense. But the other thing is we can influence people, we can keep the air flowing, build rapport uh, and, and, and get incredible connection uh, that is effective. Managing your tone then yeah. helps with your well-being and health. Is that what you're saying? Absolutely, 100%. Well, so I'd love to hear another example of that. Well, how big a problem is this in schools with with voice mm. that is a neglected part of teacher training and yes. people who lose their voice? I mean, that's the end of a career. You lose your voice, you lose who you are, you lose your job, you lose your identity. It's as easy as that. It is much deeper than you think. And uh, you know, we need to be able to have full expression. Full vocal range means full expression of self. You bring it down to a tiny little range with not much uh, vocal colour or vocal pitch variation. That's that's not it's it's a disaster, and we need to know how to do it. Okay, so talking about being ignored in the professional life, who would be some? If it's okay for me to ask this, yeah. who would be some prime examples of of people out there in the public domain? who aren't being as effective as they could be because of their voice and body language. Oh, fascinating. Yeah, look, um, you know, I, 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 I know somebody who actually auditions for uh, presenters for some of the radio stations, at, uh, TV, sorry, presenters, and what they do is if somebody's incredibly beautiful, um, we find that a little bit confronting. So rather than make them any uglier, they choose the beautiful people, but they'll choose people who have vocal damage because the message there is, oh, they're vulnerable, you know, they're not perfect. So you get people on the TV shows going, oh, I went to the, um, you know, I went to the uh, uh, the shop, you know, and I, we had a great party and it was fantastic. And the message to the listener is, oh, aren't they beautiful? They're so gorgeous. But, you know, gosh, they're a party animal, uh, you know, and they're vulnerable. They're just like me. Uh, there's something really sick about this, quite frankly. It, it, it doesn't work at all. And as somebody who's vocal damaged, quite frankly, I spend my life looking at the screen, just saying to the person behind it, go to the doctor, you know, fix it, sunshine because that ain't working and you can get no power you can get no emotional expression um, and eventually you know you'll end up voices don't age you know so why are teachers moving out when they get older because they say well the voices age rubbish voices don't age bodies age our muscles around voice age and we make them sound old we make them sound old they're not you know, so we're getting older before our time, damaged before our time. Um, you know, that that's people getting nodules, not having them treated, um, you know, losing their voice, losing themselves. Mm. So are there any specific individuals that you'd be willing to talk about who you've seen and you think if they just change their tone, if they just change, you know, put their shoulders back, use their hands differently, for example. Oh, yeah, yeah, great. So Pauline Hansen is a classic case. So yeah. what Pauline Hansen does, and if we're talking about the mind-body-voice connection, um, the mind, when we become defensive, the part of the body that jams is, is you know, again, it's very Louise, Louise Hay in her mind-body connection. It's the back of the neck, the back of the neck. When the, when the back of the neck jams, this is the kind of sound that you get. So um, police do it. Um, you know, when we can't become defensive, we jam the back of the neck. Now, what happens when you do that is you can't, you get a tight sound. 
and you can't breathe. So Pauline will say things like, I don't like it. Please explain. Very short phrases. Mm. Um, and, uh, you know, I just think, oh, Pauline, lift your neck. Lift your neck. Nod your head. Get flexibility of the head, which would give you flexibility of sound. Uh, you know, who else? Um well, everyone really, everyone can do with some improvement apart from newsreaders. They're good. And many newsreaders are people who've had speech defects, who've had to go and work on their voice and that's why they're good. Do you then find it difficult watching people in the media and like, do you find it hard switching off and not just thinking, yeah, you of course just fix this, you'll be better? Oh, yes. You know, I'm watching one of the um, one of the judges on um, Ma- Married at First Sight, and one of the psychologists. And you know what this woman does? She drives me nuts. Absolutely drives me nuts. And I'm looking at her. What's she doing? What? What is it that drives me nuts? And I'm looking and I'm thinking, yeah, of course those teeth do not separate. The teeth do not separate. And when the teeth don't separate, the tongue can barely move. Now we need the tongue to make, you know, our diction. Um, And if the tongue's not moving, what we do is we get overactive lip movement. So she does this massively overactive lip movement without the uh, teeth actually separating. And that drives me insane. The message there is it's control. It's all about control. I'm not opening my mouth. My jaw is, uh, you know, the temporomandibular joint is at something like 50% of the uh, energetic vibrations of our thinking goes through that joint. And if we're holding our thinking, we hold our jaw. It's very common. And, um, and, and then we're doing overactive lip movement to make up for the fact that our tongue does not move. And it, it just, for me, it's just uh, passive aggressive. You know, it it, it puts me on edge, puts me on edge. And I analyse what it is that puts me on edge. And that's what it is in that case. And isn't that interesting? Just by changing one little thing, their perception, uh, the way people perceive them and and their approval ratings in a way would actually go up. Oh, yeah. Um, And and look, a woman I worked with the other day who was a a presenter and she'd say when she was stressed, she'd say, Australia, Australia. What's Australia? It's Australia. You know, but when they get stressed, the jaws, the jaw tighten and and she wasn't doing overactive lip movement to compensate and so you start to get things like Australia um you know we mumble uh and uh, stop it open your mouth move your tongue it's mm-hmm. easy it's a discipline uh once you bring it to awareness uh it's easily solved discipline speaking of which I am becoming very aware <laughs> right now of my tone <laughs> and how I'm speaking I'm sure you've got a whole bunch of things going through your mind as what well. I could fix up yeah. and maybe that's for a chat later on I'd love to know yeah. um, so Donald Trump I can't not ask about him um, yeah. he's he seems very purposeful he seems incredibly intentional uh, about the use mm. of his hands mm. uh, the way he smiles the way he nods the use mm. of his body mm. do you think uh, a big part of the reason why he was voted in was to do with his very clever use of voice and body language. I think every reason he was voted in was part of his <laughs> okay. voice and body language. And I say to people that the man is a genius in this area. And, you know, I say to people, you know, where does it get you? Well, 
he's president of the United States, you know, and, and yet you're worried about getting up and doing a presentation for five people. This is, this is not rocket science. There is a lot we can do. And although I'm not saying vote for the man, but I am saying watch him. It's amazing. You know, when he did the address to the nation, uh, the Speaker of the House had to introduce him. And under stress, he went, the president, he mumbled. And Donald looked at him with a smile like, mate, stand aside, here come the professionals and Donald Donald bang out he comes he never falters he knows exactly what he's doing and it's tough it's discipline that has got him there um but he knows what he's doing his throat never closes um on that particular occasion he did not want to mention the problems of the past he only wanted to mention positive things and for the future and people, I don't know if they realised, but he only used his right hand, which is what the ancients are used, where the, how we gesture to the future or goodness is on the right hand and outstretched. Sinistra, bad, sinister, is on the left. He never lifted his left hand. Um, the man is so calculated the way he shows his palms, which show trust. I have no pennies between my fingers. Um, he, he used two gestures, success gestures, and the front of the, fan, the palm, um, you know, the finger and the thumb together as a winning gesture and the flat of the hand. Two gestures, that's it. Um, it's very calculated. It's very clever. He never crosses his body with his hands. This would be closure uh, at all times. He keeps open. His jaw remains released. He's, he's, you know, he's an artwork. Do you think he has always been like that or do you think he was trained? Uh, you know, 4% of people can beat the lie detector. So the lie detector actually judges what we're talking about. It judges your um, breathing. They put a string around your diaphragm and it judges whether that jams. They record the voice. They hear variations in the voice. You know, their, their, their sweat levels. Um, all of these things is what we're talking about. And 4% of people can beat the lie detector. Who are those 4% of people? Psychopaths. So, you know, most of us, for instance, yawning. Why do we yawn when other people yawn? We yawn because they open their throat and we imitate other people's throat shapes. We imitate the throat shapes of those around us. It's an ancient form of empathy. They're now using that as an early test for autism in babies. Um, if babies don't yawn when their mother yawns, they're saying, hmm, this is an early sign of autism. Psychopaths don't yawn when other people yawn around them. They can keep their throat open. Um, of course, we can all learn to do that. Naturally, we don't. We tend to imitate and respond to stress. We can learn to over over, override those responses and become more like a psychopath. So what I'm saying, psychopaths pick this up naturally. The rest of us can learn to do it for our own benefit. For our own health and good communication, we can choose to do what we need to do to get the right message across. So then, so is, is he a psychopath sorry. or did he learn it? You decide. <laughs> yes. I wasn't going to ask you that blunt question, but Erica, yeah. maybe maybe we decide. I think I know what most people will go for, but anyway, <laughs> no judgment. Now, so obviously using your body and your voice is highly effective in communicating the message that you want to communicate and enabling to be heard and have the influence that you want. Mm. Is it important to change our styles if we're speaking to men or women or a mixed group? It's not about 
about men or women. It's about cultural norms and bias. So, for instance, okay. um, men groups of executive men will tell me, uh, we don't gesture in business, we don't do gesturing. And I'm like, really, where was that written down? You know, where was that law instigated? Because I can tell you that in the natural world, gestures are critical. Babies gesture. Uh, and we need to gesture. And I think that women will lead the fore on gesturing. You know, if somebody sings, I love you, they're going to use their arms to guide the air. They're not going to stand with their arms stock still beside them. I love you. It doesn't make sense. Gestures are guided. They guide the airflow. And we need to get that back into our world. Men aren't going to do it because their norm is, um, you know, in our culture that we don't gesture, that sin's weakness. It's not. It's actually strength and it's natural. So how are we going to do it? Well, we want to make sure we don't have repeat gestures. We want to make sure that we have congruent gestures. We want to make sure that our gestures are not strapped to our body. Um, so we want to do it properly, but we need gestures. And I think women will lead uh, the, the, the new way. Um, so do you communicate okay. differently for men or women? You know, we have to be aware of what the culture is, what the bias is, and then and and then work with it. Uh, but I think we have to lead it, not go with what is not working. So women might be more naturally adept. Is that what you're saying? Yes. Yeah, so women also in the area of airflow, I think that okay. women aren't as loud as men, you know, that's a problem. Uh, let's not worry about it because there are so many other things that women can do. And we can, for instance, be more caring by adding in more airflow. Women do that more easily than men. And that is seen as more caring, more empathetic. You know, tick. That's excellent. So, you know, there are things we can do, things we can't do as a man or a woman. And we need to play on our strengths, not dwell on our weaknesses. We'll be back with our chat with Louise in just a moment. Before we do though, I'd like to give a quick message from our sponsor, which in fact is my company, Project Hatch. If you love the messages on the Do Life Better podcast and would like to share these more deeply with your team, company, or particularly with the students and teachers in your school, then we can help. Our highly interactive, engaging and trusted programs will enable the individuals within your group to enhance their own well-being mindsets and leadership by gaining a greater understanding of themselves, others, their influence and legacy, and in the appropriate settings, a deeper sense and understanding of their spirituality. Because I am so grateful that you listen to this podcast, I will give you 20% off your new booking with us. That's 20% off your new booking with us. All you need to do, please, is send us an email at hello at projecthatch.com.au that's hello at projecthatch.com.au and mention that you listen to the Do Life Better podcast and then you can receive your 20% off your first booking with us. Again, if you'd like to share these messages more deeply with your group, team or school, then we can help. Just send us an email at hello at projecthatch.com.au and you, you will receive 20% off your first booking with us. And secondly, to help keep this podcast going and to share it with more people, I ask that you please do me one small favor. Please subscribe to this podcast in whichever platform you use to listen to it and leave a rating and a review. Leaving a rating and a review and subscribing makes a massive difference as it actually 
boosts up the ratings and it helps it get in front of more people just like you. So this small action will in fact mean the world of difference to me. So again, please do subscribe, leave a rating and a review. They'll be huge for me. So thank you for that. And now back to our chat with Louise. So speaking of things that we can do more of, can we have a quick look at different situations and what mm. could we focus on for the situations? Is that okay? Mm -hmm. Great. So for example, if um, we want to make a really good first impression, mm -hmm. whether it be a job interview or with some people you're just meeting and on a social yeah. basis, what would be some things to be mindful of then? I do a lot of work on that exact point, which is making an entrance, you know, be it a job interview, be it a classroom, be it a, a room full of parents, whatever it is, when you make that entrance, you know, it's 0.4 of a second one, you never get a second chance, as they say, to make a first impression. So, you know, it's eye contact needs to be absolutely uh, on the people to whom you're speaking. And there's a pattern with that, um, that you can use, uh, that is, it is controlled but it looks relaxed the arm swing when we swing the arms the opposite hand with the opposite foot that actually shows a freedom and when we initiate sound we want the stomach to go in the diaphragm to go up the mouth to be open and you need a clean initiation of sound I add to that the mnemonic of opening the arms so when you stop you greet people it's Hi, good morning. It's what um, they, you know, the 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 actor did. Gosh, the name's gone from my mind. Did good morning Vietnam. Yep, you know, yep. the air comes out. Morning Vietnam. When you greet people, you want to flood them with your airflow. Good morning. Hi. I I get people often to say the word hi because it has an H. Um, which gets an air out and then ha, there's an R, an open vowel, hi. So the air continues to flow um, and it touches people. It says, I want to be here. I'm unblocked. There's no control for me. I'm just out connecting with you. Uh, so your, your voice is unblocked. Hi, how are you? Um, you know, that's very important, initial engagement. I'm going to use that because when I get up in front of large groups of students and teachers, I mm. normally start with good morning. Um, but maybe that's a bit more close. Maybe I should start well, with hi, how are you, for that, that open sound. Can you hear that the good, it depends on how you say a good, but a good, where is a good made in your mouth? It's made at the back of the mouth. G, g, g. And, and is that a good plosive that's going to give you go, go? That's quite tight, really. Good, d, and then you've got a d, and then morning. You know, that's not as open as you could be. Uh, and, of course, you could work with that to make it very open, um, but for many people that might be a challenge. So that might not be a great uh, start. Hi, everyone. You know, has a lot more vowels in it, a lot more opening um, that is a lot more connecting. And the arms go out and they embrace the room. They go off your body. The elbows are way off the body. The arms embrace the room. Um, you know, this is Donald Trump does it every time he greets people uh, and they do it at the Academy Awards. You'll also find Jesus did it. You know, it works. Mm -hmm. You don't karate chop at people. You don't, arms aren't tight. Hello, hello, and then slap them down. You open the arms, embrace the room, and hold Hold them open. Just like the air continues to flow, the arms stay open as a warmth and embrace and openness. 
you know, we need to watch for the pattern we have. We tend to develop patterns, these patterns, in about at the age of about eight, you know, very formative years, and we slap the arms in, karate chop at people, throw our head at them, good morning, good morning, good morning. Um, and then we go, yeah, well, I'm not dead. I'm still alive. Therefore, it's okay. But it could be so much better. I'm going to use it tomorrow morning to have a group of about 100 students tomorrow. I'm going to get up there and say, hi, how are you? I, I normally have the arms wide open. And it's very interesting that you said embrace the room because that's ex- the exact reason I have my hands wide open, arms yeah. stretched out. So and keep I- them out. You know, and go, um, I'm going to do that. Hi, how are you? You know, the air, keep the effort. So, hi, how are you? Hi, how are you? You know, keep it flowing. Fantastic. And I want to ask you some more questions in a second about presentation skills. Mm-hmm. Uh, before we do, you mentioned controlled but relaxed eye contact. How do we do that? <laughs> I heard something about 75% eye contact and look away or yeah, you mirror them. Like when they look away, you have about the same percentage of oh, eye contact gosh. and looking away. What would you say? You know, it's one of my favorite things is to ask people, what are your rules of eye contact? And they'll always say, oh, you don't look too long, then you look away. And I'm like, where do you get this? You know, the thing is, with the reality is that with eye contact, we all have patterns of eye movement. Uh, you know, I, I worked with a lady last night and I said to her, you have one major thing that is blocking your communication. And I, I just couldn't believe it. She said to me, Oh, I, I don't know. She said, is it that I apologised up front that I was no good? You know, in other words, she goes to the words. And I'm like, no. It's actually that you had your eyes closed for three quarters of the engagement. And she goes, did I? No one had ever told her. Her natural pattern was to close her eyes. For many people, it's looking up. Some people, it's looking sideways. Some people, it's looking down. And this is really well researched that we look in these different places. It is not a natural function to look straight ahead. That is a discipline that we need to learn. So the idea is we don't trust people if they shift their eyes. Shifty eyes. Don't move them. End of story. Right, so we don't want to look like a psychopath. What are we going to do? Well, Mm. there are ways to soften that eye contact and the ways of softening it are movement. And there are three major movements, nod the head, um, smile, and the third one is the most important, and it's blink. So how often do we blink? Well, it's actually every four seconds, 15 times a minute approximately. Every four seconds, you're blinking. And that is well-researched as the blink of someone who's listening and connected and present. This becomes habit. You nod, smile, and blink every four seconds. That's how you soften the eyes. You don't need to look away at all. Right. Now, maybe... You'd like to look away. Maybe it would be appropriate to look away. There are two ways you look away. One is you can ask permission to look away. You could say, oh, that's a good thought. And I wonder, let me think. Um, I've just asked you if I can look away. Let me think. And then I look back. Because I've told you that I'm going to my thinking area as I look away. And that gives me permission. The second thing is I could look at a thing. I think it's always great to have a cup of coffee, to look into the cup of coffee and say, oh, that's interesting. Then look into the coffee, take a a sip, tea, coffee, water, whatever it is, take a sip looking into the glass and then look back to them. That's an eye escape. When you look at a thing, why don't I lose trust when I look at that cup? Because you can see the cup. 
all of this about, oh, you look away, you know, every now and then, that is just satisfying your unconscious mind, which is saying, I can't hold eye contact. Well, here's the, here's the trick learn to. The research shows it takes two minutes to be able to hold your eyes, two minutes of practice. No one ever takes the two minutes. Take the two minutes, become disciplined. You know, they say the amateur practices till they get it right, the professional practices till they can't get it wrong. Practice until you cannot get it wrong. Now soften it and have a couple of eye escapes. They are the rules of eye contact. And that's what you need to know and do. Yeah, I didn't realize it was that much eye contact. Um, but the blinking every four seconds makes sense. I think the challenge would be not to sit there counting one, two, three, four, blink. Um, well, you get used to it. It becomes habit. Yes, yeah. true, true. So back to presenting. Yes. Uh, what would be some other tips? The body language and your posture can help you feel even more confident. And obviously yeah. a big part of it too is helping your audience connect with you on a, on a really deep level. What would be your best tips? Um, my best tips are these. You know, I'm watching uh, Married at First Sight, which is on TV at the moment as we speak. Three million people in Australia are tuning into that every night. I'm tuning into it. I find it fascinating. Why? Because there are characters, there's timeline, there's goals, there's climaxes. They're building an intrigue. And as we watch it, it's like, where's Wally, that game, spotting Wally? We're trying to find the intrigue. We're recognising our biases, their biases. We're questioning, is that a bias I want? You know, it's fascinating. They have worked out how to capture our attention. You know, recently... Recently, I was in a presentation and the man before me was incredibly boring and people had their mobile phone out and he attacked the audience and he said, now listen, you people, put your mobile phone away. And then he said, um, you people have to learn to be an audience. And I thought, when I come on, I'm not going to say it. But what I want to say to them is, guys, get your mobiles out. If at any time you need to save your life, your interest, you're going insane with boredom by going to your mobile phone because it's more interesting than I am, go crazy because that's an indicator to me that I'm not working. It is an indicator (laughs) to me that I have to work harder, not an indicator of your inadequacy. I have to be as good as my my kitchen rules or married at first sight or whatever it is to capture your attention, to keep you on board. And and we don't realise these skills of how we're confusing people. Quite frankly, people I'm not meaning to be rude. When we get under stress, we grab for our genitals. Um, It's a defense mechanism. We put our hands over our mouth. Stop it. It disconnects people. And we need to become aware of that and open them into our world. And we have to be better than, than those, you know, presenting. Um, so, uh, the, you know, your question is what are the tips? We have to be fabulous at what we do in our gestures, in our eye contact, and we have to keep breathing. All of this standing behind a lectern, you know, not only am I going to get people to learn singing when I'm queen, I'm going to burn lecterns in the middle of the city. Um, You know, uh, lecterns are a blockage to your communication. Body is our major communicator. Let's use it. Let's move it. Are we just going to walk around willy-nilly? No. We're going to say, okay, how will I use it? I need to 
anchor spaces within the room. Where's the future? Where's the past? Where's the present? How are we moving from the past to the future? Where's good things? Where's bad things? And and how are we moving between those? Which leg moves first? Do it, does our arm not block us or does our upstage arm work? You know, we're needing to oh, keep ourselves open, anchor spaces, move between those spaces, structure our engagements for energy, high energy, low energy, building for a climax, opening with power. Um, we've got to think about it in a big, big way. We have to keep ourselves healthy, um, you know, so that we can do all of these things. Our eyes need to be on the case. You know what we were talking about with eye contact? That's the easy bit. Mm-hmm. The hard bit now is guiding the eyes of the people who are there, which is hypnotism with the hands. How do you reach out to people, grab their eye contact, and then pull it with your hand towards what you want them to see and then clearly offer it back again to them. This is hypnotic. It's capturing people. They will sit mesmerised by what you do. How many people are doing this? Nobody. Nobody. It's an undiscussed, they're undiscussed skills. They're not new skills. They're old skills. They're old skills from ancient Rome, from ancient man, and we've forgotten them. Yeah, I've, I have so many more questions around presenting and I, I feel like maybe I need to have a chat with you at another you know, time. <laughs> you know what we need to do is do this all again with difficult situations, handling <clears throat> emotional situations because the mm. whole thing comes into not just the skills but understanding the psychology and mm. understanding the structures that we use. We're falling into pits and that it, it's, it's completely curable. Well, just with that, I was going to ask you one more scenario Yeah. to do with being in a conflict situation. How do you use your body and your, in your voice to diffuse uh, a heated situation? Yeah. You know, imagine you're standing in front of a group and someone asks that question you don't want asked. What we tend to do is turn our head towards them and go, yeah. Yeah, we could do a tight voice. Yeah, we cross our body over, we go tight, we lose our balance, we cross our legs over, or we take our legs too wide and go too powerful. And then we get an angry look on our face like, what, what, what? Um, instead, you don't have a problem, they have a problem. We need to open the face, open the gestures, turn our body towards them, we face danger. And if you want an excellent example of this, Trump, it's what Trump does. He turns towards people, he, oh, yes, can I help you? Yes. And then he smiles and lifts his head. Yes, yes, question. Um, And then when you've heard that question, you go towards them, not away from them. So I suggest the arms reach out and go, thank you for that question. Fascinating. Then you pull your arms in, but not to your body, to the side of your body. We anchor a problem outside our body. The psychology of that is, you know, I'm not the problem. The problem is something outside me and outside you that we can both deal with. Um, and then maybe we describe that problem. We, oh, you know, we don't let the voice go tight as we're repeating. And then what we do is we take the hands to the other side of the body for a solution. Um, we have your problem is on one side of the body. My solution is on the other. And we change tone. You know, thank you for that. May have extra air. And, and I can hear how concerned you are about X, Y and Z. We go to the other side. You know, what I think is important, we'll change the tone to our leading voice as we bring the hands to the other side. That's something really hard to explain over, you know, audio, but it's really easy to see 
um, there are gestures, there is vocal tone, there is body movement, there's face, there's eye contact. Uh, these things are definable and, and what we need to do is realise that we have a pattern at the moment. What is that pattern? Identify it. Start to realise what works as a better pattern and take the risk of practising that better pattern. I'm curious mm. to know as well, um, a lot of body language experts talk about how to tell if someone's lying from their eye contact, mm. their voice, their breathing. Mm. You, I believe that you don't like going into that area uh, about lie detection. How come? The question I get asked all the time is, okay, Louise, how do you tell if people are lying? Well, it goes back to um, changes in behaviour on specific questions. So in the lie detector, in the you know, they've done this back to the Spanish Inquisition, you would ask people questions that you know the answers to. You know, is that a white shirt? Did you got here early? Yes, 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 yes. In the lie detector test, they'll ask people, is this your name? Is this your address? Is this, you know, they ask questions they know the answers to. Then what they do is ask questions they don't know the questions answers to. Were you on that street at 8 p.m. on Tuesday? Um, and if you get a variation, uh, that is an indicator that someone is has left their truth area and is going to a constructed area of thought, which is lying. You know, it's lying. Great. Well, guess what? I don't work with liars. I work with people who tell the truth, principals who want to get people on board, who want to engage with others. It's not about spotting liars. It's about working with people who tell the truth and getting them to appear to be truthful rather than telling the truth and looking like they're lying because we're not aware how we shift the eyes, shift the, the, the body, shift in the wrong way, which sends suspicion to people. So I'm not spotting liars. I'm working with people who tell the truth and making sure they look like they're telling the truth. Mm. Can you I see like, there's a difference? I like that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I really like that. Thank you. Thank you. And just before I ask our final two questions for today, mm -hmm. Is there anything I haven't asked you yet, any advice that you'd like to give our listeners that would be really helpful? Okay, great. You know, one of the major things we don't understand is the voice as a tool. Um, it's uh, the secondary function of the voice is to make sound. The primary function of the voice is that it is a valve to protect your lungs. It is a valve to stop you from drowning. And what we don't realize is that we can't tell the difference between drowning from water or drowning from emotion. And when we are stressed by parents, by students, by teachers, those around us, our throat closes. Now, there's not one of us amongst us who hasn't been in a car accident. There's been a drama at a hospital. It certainly happened to me. The throat closes. You can't speak. And you want it. we tend to beat ourselves up and go, oh, I've been taken over by aliens. I'm useless. Instead, you need to say, thank you, body. I so appreciate that you're trying to save my life. In this occasion, on this occasion, it's not actually required. So what I need to do is override this emotional response of the throat closing. And how we do that is very difficult to, uh, you know, do um, just by knowing. Because it's like asking you to move your liver to your kidneys. You can't do it. It's below your conscious awareness. But research has shown that when you lift the muscles under the eyes, you actually open that part of the throat which is closed. So, 
it's counterintuitive when you're under enormous stress and you can't get the voice out. You actually need to smile. So we need to recognize which how we respond under stress, um, know what happens, and know how to undo it. And that part of the throat that closes, we are it's a devoicing of society. Um, and, and we as leaders need to know how to undo that and therefore guide the throat shape of those around us to keep their throats open so we can all communicate. And the answer is smile. Wow. It's so counterintuitive, yet it makes so much sense. Isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Under the stress, just smile. I'm going to use that. And if you want an example of that, Hillary Clinton would always turn, are there any questions? Yes, yes. And she would smile, 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 smile. Yeah. Uh, and the more difficult the situation, the more she smiled. And if it got more difficult, she'd go, oh. Now, what she's doing there is she's lifting her cheeks, she's kicking the air out of her body and releasing the stress response from her body. It's very, very clever. That's very useful. Thank you very much. Thank you. And um, it just to, as a way to finish up, one thing I like to ask all of our guests, and I love asking this question because all our guests come from very different areas of expertise and experience. And I love hearing different ideas. And we are the Do Life Better podcast. And the question I'd like to ask our guests is, what does doing life better mean to you? So Louise, with your experience, uh, I'd love to know for you, what does doing life better mean for you? Oh, gosh, you know, I'm tuned right into this area of work right now. And doing life better means for me a deeper understanding of my habitual patterns um, in an everyday sense and under stress, becoming aware of those, knowing how to undo them and actioning it. And actioning it under the most difficult circumstances uh, is, you know, for me, that's, that's doing life better. Thank you. And if our listeners would like to get in contact with you, what would be the mm -hmm. best way for them to do that? Oh, it's www.louisemarler, my name, louisemarler.com.au. Contact me, very easy. Love to hear from them. Excellent. Thank you. And the final question, uh, we like to finish the podcast with a challenge for the week, something that our listeners can work on all week uh, to help them do their life even better. So in terms of voice and body language, what would be your challenge for our listeners for this week? Mm, I believe gestures are the answer to life. So I'm talking about being aware of habitual patterns. Watch yourself. Watch where the hands go. Each one of us has a repetitive gesture. What's yours? Work out your repetitive gesture and start to experiment with something different. Identify your pattern, look at something different, practice it. Excellent. Thank you. I know that I'll be working on that for sure. And this chat has been really helpful for me personally, and I know it will be for our listeners as well. And uh, you've answered a lot of my questions and you've actually, uh, during our conversation and what you've, you've been sharing, um, I've got a whole bunch of other questions that I'd love to ask you another time, maybe as well, even just to help me be a better presenter and just in my own relationships and the way that I use my body and my voice as well. So um, <laughs> Louise, Thank you for your time today. Um, I know you. time is incredibly important. You're a very busy person right now. So thank you very much for your time. Thank you for the work that you are doing in enabling people to become even more confident in who they are, to be able to express themselves even more, find greater health through doing that, and uh, to be able to make deeper, stronger connections with other people through the way they communicate. So Louise, thank you very much for today. Thank you. 
So there we have it. Let's remember Louise's challenge for the week, which is be aware of your repetitive gestures and try something different and practice that. Let's see how you go for this week. And again, thank you very much for joining us today. I really look forward to having you with me again next time. Please remember to subscribe, to share this out with other people who you know will gain a lot from this. Leave a rating and a review. And I look forward to having you join me again next time. Thanks again for listening to the Do Life Better podcast. You can find all our show notes at www.projecthatch.com.au forward slash do life better. If you'd like to book Dave Joyner to speak at your event, company or school, you can contact him at hello at projecthatch.com.au. You can contact us on Facebook at Project Hatch and on Instagram at project underscore hatch. Please remember to subscribe to the podcast and share it with someone you think would benefit from these messages. And now it's time to get out there and do life better.